Well, welcome this weekend. Glad you're here. How many of you are glad you're here? Are you glad you're here? Okay, good. Three of you are. The rest of you would rather be watching a football game or something. Well, I'm glad you're here. I really am. I, uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or here in one of the venues at the Long Point campus. Uh, we're glad that you also are with us and uh, I want to invite you just to kind of join in and uh, follow along, participate. Uh, for those of you who were here at the Long Point campus on uh, first Wednesday, uh, I interviewed Tim Scott, who is our new congressman from our area. And um, Tim has been a trustee uh, here at Seacoast Church for a number of years. And uh, he and I have been friends for about 14 years and have been in a mentoring relationship. I love him. He's a great guy. But he really dissed me this Wednesday. Uh, you can see it. I, I posted it on my blog site and also on a link on Facebook. But here's what Tim did. is, is He uh, kind of hinted that I was less than an exciting preacher. Uh, he, <laughs> he said that I always stand in one place and I never break a sweat. And he kind of uh, hinted that uh, listening to him would be a lot more exciting than listening to me. And you know what? He's probably right. In fact, I want to be honest with you. That was something that for a long time after I felt like God had called me to serve him in this way, that was one of the reasons that I kind of felt like maybe God had made a mistake. Do you ever feel like God made a mistake when he called you to do something? Anybody here? Like, okay, yeah. I felt like God had made a mistake because I saw all of these preachers that I knew that were exciting and I just wasn't very exciting. I didn't even excite myself. I don't get excited hardly ever. This is as excited as I get, you know. And so I'm arguing with God. God, I mean, it's like, you know, um, you remember in the Old Testament when God was calling Gideon and and he needed somebody that would, you know, be God's instrument to save Israel. And angel of the Lord says, Gideon, you mighty warrior, you're the man. And Gideon looks around and says, say who? Say what? He said, you know what? My family's like, Israel's weak and there's a lot of weak tribes. I'm in the weakest tribe and my family's the weakest family in the whole tribe. And you're calling me. Well, I felt that way. I remember um, one time I was on a college retreat. And I pulled aside a college professor, a very wise man. And I told him how I felt and how that I felt like God was calling me. And, but I felt so inadequate to do it. Afraid, really afraid of public speaking. And uh, he listened and then he wisely said to me, well, don't you think that there just might be a group of people somewhere, somewhere that are specially placed there by God Almighty. And that group of people are going to be interested in what you have to say. They're going to understand your humor. Not a lot of people do, and they're going to. <laughs> and just maybe there's going to be a group that you can establish as a church and that God will use you in that way. And I remember thinking about that and going, wow, I wonder if, I wonder if maybe he's right. And finally, it, it kind of sunk in, and I, I thought, yeah, I'll bet God could do that. And then he says, now, don't get your hopes up. It's probably not a real big group, you know. 
Well, you know, some of you, actually, in in my mind, I kind of saw it as almost like a spiritual scavenger hunt. You ever been on one of those? You know, where you have to go find things that are already hidden and that God had hidden some people and that my lifetime pursuit was to go on a scavenger hunt. And I ended up here. And some of you are really happy for me. You're glad I got my mojo on. You know, you're, you're just excited. You, you know, some of you are saying, I'm glad that you became a professional minister. And some of you are glad for yourself. Some of you have come to Christ in the time that we've been here. And, and you're real happy that those years ago that that professor pointed me in the right direction. Some of you are happy to su- financially support this church so that people like me, the, the professional ministers, can continue to do what we do and share the good news. But you know what? Here's the truth. The way I read the Bible, we all have a responsibility and the privilege to share the good news. Did you get a... Uh, outline sheet when you came in it was in the bulletin or maybe you can follow along uh, if you're online in fact if you're in a campus here's what i want you to do we're all going to read a couple of scriptures out loud and i'd like everybody to read out loud if you would do that together mark 16 and verse 15 says this and let's read it out loud you have your outline sheet everybody ready let's read and then he told them go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere And then Ephesians 3 and verse 7. And by the way, that was Jesus that told everyone. He told them and them is down through the centuries. It applies to us to go into all the world and preach the good news. Then Ephesians 3, 7. Let's read this one. By God's special favor and mighty power, we have been given the wonderful privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Would you circle the word privilege on there? Paul says that we have been given a privilege. And it's a wonderful privilege to spread the good news. See, every disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, every disciple is missional. We live our lives on mission. It's a part of the deal. But most of us, honestly, don't live our lives that way. And the bottom line is this. We tend to leave the evangelism thing to the professionals. Would you agree that the, even the thought of evangelism can be intimidating? I don't know what you think of when, when I say the word evangelism. For some of you, you know, maybe you remember a guy like Billy Graham, you know, a guy that was gifted speaker that could stand up in front of stadiums and f- tens of thousands would come to Jesus. And when you think of that, you say, I can't do that. And for some of you, when we think of evangelism, we think of going door to door. You know, maybe riding a bicycle with a little narrow black tie or whatever it happens to be, or maybe going and passing out tracks, you know, and sharing Jesus with people. And you say, I don't want to do that. And some of you, when you think of evangelism, you think of starting a conversation like on an airplane, you know, sitting next to a complete stranger. And you say, you know what? I'm too shy to do that. Sharing our faith is a little bit intimidating. Sometimes we say, you know, I know I should, but I don't know how. And what I want to do this weekend, I am so excited about this message. You can't believe, you can't tell it on the outside, but on the inside, I mean, I'm just jumping up and down. (laughs) 
I am so excited to share this message because what I'm going to do, what I hope to do this weekend is to demystify this whole concept of evangelism. To demystify sharing the good news. To hopefully put it on a level that when we walk out of here this weekend, we go, you know what? I can do that. Not only can I do that, but I'm going to do it with all of my heart. I want to make fulfilling the Great Commission accessible to everyone. Now, we're in a study of the book of Philemon. It's 25 verses. We've already gone through. We've explained a lot of the stuff that's in there. And basically, it's about a guy named Philemon who is an ordinary guy, just an ordinary guy who has a church in his house. Second or third verse, it says that he has a church in his house. Now, the very first week that I read that, I was thinking about this series. I, I, I always ask questions. When you read the Bible, do you ask questions about it? I do. I sit down and I ask all kind of questions and kind of learn that way. And I, and I ask myself, how did he get a church in his house? I mean, did it just appear? I mean, just all of a sudden one day, he's got a church in his house. I don't think so. And then my second question was, once he had the church in his house, how did he grow the church in his house? I mean, how did he get people to be a part? How did he share his faith? Well, honestly, we don't know. But we know it just didn't happen. And here's, here's what I do know. Even though it, it, the Bible doesn't say specifically what happened with Philemon, there are clues in other parts of the Scripture that help to answer some of those questions. And so what I want to do this weekend is to extract some clues. And this message applies to you. Let me, let me tell you who it applies to. It applies to you if you're going to plant a church. There are some of you who are here today. There are many of you who listen online who are church planners, or maybe that God might use in that way someday. This message is going to be golden for you. It's going to talk to you about how you do that. This message is for some of you who are leading a group and you're, uh, you're the leader of a small group or a missional community and you're wondering, how can we grow? How can we get more people to be a part of what God has called us to do? For some of you, you're leading a ministry area and a part of leading a ministry is recruiting volunteers. And so this message is for you because I'm going to talk to you about how you do that. If you're a Christ follower seeking to share the good news, just wanting to live missionally every day, which is frankly what all of us should do, this message is for you. And if you're uh, not yet a Christ follower and you're wondering, how in the world did I get in this church today or watching on the internet today? How did I arrive here? Well, hopefully we're going to share that. This message is for you also. So here we go. Let's, let's rip into it. We're going to talk about how to take the good news outside of your house. How do you take the church beyond the walls of the house? And here's who we're going to learn from. We're going to learn from Jesus. How do you think he's a good teacher? Jesus is the source of everything. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some scriptures in Luke chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 10. Two of the gospels that basically tell the same story. And what the deal is, is the disciples have been following Jesus for a while, okay? They've left everything that they had, most of them had. They'd left family, and they'd begun to build a brand new spiritual family, which is the Greek word what? Oikos, right? Say it together. Oikos. So they, they'd been building their oikos or their family. They've been hanging with Jesus. He's been teaching them. Now it's time to spread the good news, the stuff that they'd been experiencing, to some new places. 
And so Jesus gathered some of his select disciples around him. And he, and he gives them, really, what I see is, is four pieces of practical instruction about how we can take the good news where it is today and take it outside of our house or our oikos or where we happen to be and spread the gospel in the way that God wants us to. Now, here's what he does. He says the first thing you got to do if you're going to take the good news outside of your house is this. Number one, you got to enlist a team. You got to enlist a team. Luke 10 and verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where we, he was about to go. They were kind of his advanced team. He's getting ready to go into new territory and he appoints 72 of them. And instead of seven, sending 72 men or women in separate directions, he divides them in half. He points teams and he, and he sends 36 teams out. Why not just send them out by themselves? Because there is a mystical power in twos. A mystical power in twos. Great verse. One of my favorite ones in the Bible. It's Ecclesiastes 4.9, especially as it relates to teams. And this is good for business or in your home or anywhere else. And here it is, Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says, two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. It's interesting. It doesn't say that two people can accomplish you know, exactly twice as much as you know, each of them doing their own thing. No, it says more than twice as much. Have you ever experienced that? Every once in a while, Debbie will have a, uh, you know, one of these uh, to-do lists for around the house, a little project, you know. And uh, I am clueless as it relates to a lot of that stuff, but her love language is uh, practical service. And so I've figured out that's what I've got to do. It makes her happy, you know. So, so I, I, it, you know, I'll be out there laboring, trying to do stuff. And when she comes to help me, it's, it's, it's awesome. Because there's this synergy that happens. There's an accountability that happens. She's, she's actually there making sure I'm doing what I'm saying I'm going to do, you know. But there's a, there's a kind of a synergy that goes on. You've experienced that. If you've ever had to work by yourself at something, and you know when you get somebody else along with you who's like-minded, man, you can get more than twice. It's better productivity. He goes on and he says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. Listen, you're going to fall. You're going to have times when, when you blow it. It says if there's two people, there's a better source of encouragement. They can encourage one another. You ever get tired of encouraging yourself? Do you do that? Kind of a Stuart Smalley, you remember him? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You know? and you're just looking in the mirror and you're telling, telling yourself that. You're just kind of getting t- tired of it. And you need somebody else to give you a word of encouragement. Have you ever felt like you failed at something or got discouraged and your mind begins to run away? It's almost like a snowball going down a hill with discouraging thoughts. The more you sit by yourself, the worse things are. And when you sit down with somebody else, it kind of puts it in right perspective. Right kind of friends keep you encouraged. You need to build a team. He goes on, he says, on a cold night, two under the same blanket can gain warmth from each other. But how can one be warm alone? That's before dual controls on electric blankets, okay? And what he's saying, he says, with, with two people, there's a sense of community. Now, let me ask you this. If you've got a group, a work group, or you've got a group in your house, you've got a church in your house, you've got a small group, you've got a missional community, or whatever, how do you create community? Everybody's so disconnected these days. There's, there's, there's less connecting going on, more desire for connecting at any time in history. That's what Facebook is about, all that kind of stuff. How do you create 
Community. Let me tell you how. You do mission together. Do mission together. Some of the closest knit relationships in this church are teams that went on mission trips. Would you agree with that? You've been on a mission trip? And the, the connectivity and the, and the closeness that happens. Studies show that groups that start with a goal of community, the you know, whole, whole goal as groups is we're going to be close, we're going to be tight, we like hanging out with one another. That's our goal and we want to we make a difference. Studies say that groups that start with community and hope to somehow move toward mission, listen to this, almost never get there. Never get there. But when we start with mission, we always get to community. When, you're, when, when you say, you know what, we're going to band together for a common goal. We're going to do so. We're going to make a difference. We're going to a mission trip. We're going to make a difference in our community or, you know, at the school or, or whatever it happens to be. When that is the goal of the group, then community happens. The, the need for, to care for each other in the midst of the battle of mission. So he says there's a better sense of community. And then he, he says a, a, a person standing alone uh, can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There's better protection. I've got your back, back to back. In, in fact, he goes on to say, he says that three are even better than two for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so Jesus says this. So if you're going to take the church, if you're going to take the good news beyond just the local group of people, beyond your spiritual oikos, beyond your family, if you're going to take it beyond that and make a difference in the world, then you need to have a team and choose a team. So let me ask you a question. Every one of these, I want to make it personal. The bottom of your outline sheet on that point, it says this. Do I have a team? Do I have a team? I want you to think about that. Do you have a team of two or three people that the express purpose of that team is to help one another live out the good news? Do you have a team? Okay. Is sharing the good news even on your radar? Let's, let's go on. Let's, let's look at the second thing that Jesus says. Second thing you do if you're going to take the church outside of your house is to ask for God's help. Ask for God's help. The very first thing Jesus does after he breaks them up into twos is he tells them to pray. Luke 10 and verse 2. In fact, I want you to read this out loud. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's okay, here's the first thing you do. Break into twos. Second thing you do is you need to ask God for help. And here's how you ask God for help. You begin to pray for workers in the harvest because God has planted people. Remember the spiritual scavenger hunt. God has planted people in the harvest. You are alive for such a time as this. It's not an accident that you were born where you were born at the time where you were, you, uh, uh, that you were born and you're living in the place that you are right now. It's not an accident. You're there on purpose. And so what you need to do is you need to pray that God would bring people out of the harvest. When we started Seacoast Church, I used to, and I still do it. I used to drive around. Once we decided it was Mount Pleasant, I used to drive around at night through the neighborhoods, go into each one of the neighborhoods. And as I would pray, I probably drove by your house. And I would pray, and I'd pray, God, would you bring workers for the harvest out of this neighborhood right here? Out of this book, out of that house right there, God, would you bring workers for the harvest? 
I'd drive around during the daytime and I'd see where people gather. And it wasn't weird. You know, I didn't, you know, draw a scene to myself or anything like that. But I would drive around and I'd say, God, that group of people over there, would you bring workers out of it? Maybe there, there might be some of the people that you have planted there that I could be a blessing to. Maybe they could help me in the mission that you've sent me to here. Would you bring workers out of the harvest? We started the Dream Center. I used to and I still do. We'd go into that neighborhood and just pray. Sometimes walking around during the daytime. <laughs> Lord Charleston. Sometimes driving and praying. Say, God, would you bring workers out this crack house right here? People think that that's impossible. God, I pray that you'd bring workers out of there. God, would you bring workers out of the harvest? See, what I've discovered is the opportunities to fulfill the mission that God has given to me are pretty much in direct proportion to my willingness to listen to God and to ask for His help. Would you agree with that? So here's some action steps for you. I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to either prayer drive or prayer walk your neighborhood this week. Now, do it with your eyes open. You don't have to pray with your eyes closed. That's dangerous, okay? Especially when you're driving. But just, I I challenge you as an action step to drive through your neighborhood this week, wherever you happen to live, and just pray. And pray like this. Pray exactly like Jesus said. Lord, would you send workers out of this harvest to help me in accomplishing what you've called me to do? I challenge, I challenge you. Some of you are in adoptive block groups. And there was an adoptive block this weekend or last weekend, wherever it happened to be in the campus that you're at. I challenge you that when you're not even doing your adoptive block, that you would go to that neighborhood and you would drive around and you would pray, God, would you send workers out of the harvest? I challenge every one of you that have a job, that are working somewhere, I challenge you to prayer walk the halls of the business where you happen to work. Maybe it's retail sales, you know, in like a Belks or something like that. Or maybe it's a law office or maybe it's in a hospital. I challenge you on your time off, I challenge you to walk around and just pray like pray below, you know, with, without moving your lips. <laughs> and and uh, whatever, some of you are kind of crazy, you know what I mean? But um, just act normal, okay? Just act normal and just walk around. And I challenge you to pray and pray for Pray for workers for the harvest because God has called you there. I challenge you if you have a small group to pray over the seats in your small group asking God to send out workers for the harvest. If you have kids, I challenge you to pray over their beds when they're not there. Pray, God, you have trusted me with champions for your harvest. God, would you call out workers in the harvest in my home? Here's the question. Be honest with yourself. When is the last time that I prayed for workers for the harvest? Is that even on my radar screen to pray for workers for the harvest? Okay? Am I praying regularly? So if we're going to take the good news out of our house, we've got to enlist a team. We've got to ask God for help. Let me give you the third thing that Jesus said that we're supposed to do. That's to find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. Notice Jesus' next instructions to His disciples. He says, as you go... Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Look at me. How many of you have at least one demon-possessed neighbor? Okay. 
All right, don't point. Here's your opportunity. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that's the case. These days, to a great degree, the needs have changed. They didn't have hospitals then. Um, we don't have a big deal with leprosy these days. But just because the needs have changed doesn't mean that we don't need to be taking the kingdom into our, into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into our friendships and relationships. The needs are different, but the gospel still applies. So, what are the needs? What, how, do you, how do you find a need and fill it? Well, over the last few weeks, we've given you several. Ron Hall, do you remember two or three weeks ago? He talked about the need of the homeless and said how he just simply made himself available, not because he was good, but because he piggybacked on somebody else's hurt and somebody else's vision. happened to be his wife at that time. That might be a need that you could fulfill. Jeff, when he spoke last week, he gave the story of a stay-at-home mom who started a dog-walking business in order to help sex slaves. I would have loved to have heard that story, but I was gone. There's an idea. Gang, I'm running out of ideas for you people, okay? They're all over, though. Listen, here's another one. What about in Charleston? There are nuke school guys, nuclear school here in Charleston. And I run into them all the time at church who are away from home, away from family, doing some of the most intense training that anybody could ever do. Some are lonely, some need a way to get to church. What if a small group said, you know what, let's just see if maybe we could reach out and find a need and fill it there. There are knobs at the Citadel. I see a lot of you guys every weekend. And uh, people have said, you know what, I'm going to step in and help. I'll just bet in Columbia there are guys in, and girls in Fort Jackson who would love people to step up and say, here's the kingdom, let us serve you. I know when I was in college, I had a need for food and rides to church. And so I ended up going to church where they had foods and rides, you know. Had a need, somebody filled it. There's a group of ladies here at the Long Point campus who make blankets for when there are problems in the birth process. Give them away in Jesus' name. There may be families in your neighborhood, in your work, or in your arena of relationships that are struggling with how do you raise kids? How do I discipline toddlers? And you know what? There are some of you who have figured that out who are doing a really, really good job and you guys gang together and, and you're helping one another, I want to challenge you to move your church beyond your walls and not just gather with the people that you not love and you know and, and take the gift that God has given you and say, you know what? What if we figured out a way to find a need and fill it? I remember when Jason was in the hospital when we first moved to Charleston. I played the video of that uh, several months ago. And he was unconscious, and we didn't know anybody hardly at all. And we're sitting down at Medical University and feeling sorry for ourselves, frankly, wondering, why did we move here? Why did we move away from the relationships that we had, wondering if we had missed God's will? And finally, over time, I recognized that, you know what? This is not a, something that was unknown to God. And I am here on mission. It's not a mistake. And so... Rather than looking inside, I began to look around. And I began to go from room to room just trying to be an encouragement to other parents that were in the same situation as I was. Found a lot of needs there. Find a need and fill it. Now, I just want to challenge you, don't fill a need and find it. You know, I mean, you ever seen some, something that was created um, and it was in need of an application? You know, I mean... Uh, 
uh, somebody gave me something not long ago and said, I want to serve God with this. And I'm thinking, oh, good luck. You know, that's great. Awesome. I don't know who needs that. But anyway, I remember <laughs> I remember when Hurricane Hugo came this, uh, back in 1989. And there were people all over the United States that were feeling terrible about it. And they started sending truckloads of junk. Literally, they were emptying their, you know, their garages of stuff and sending them down here and feeling really good about it. And I, I thought, you know, people need ice, they need water, and they need bodies to cut down trees. All I'm saying is find a need. First find the need and then say, God, okay, use me to fill it. So here's the question. Do I have a regular rhythm of service? Do I have a regular rhythm of service? You were created to serve. So, taking the good news out of your house, you enlist a team, you ask for God's help, you find a need and fill it. Next is the part I'm so excited about. Because this, this is the bottom line. Finding people who we share the good news with. How do you do that? Number four, look for the people of peace. Look for the people of peace. Look what Jesus said. When you enter a house, okay, he told the guys, he said, all right, we're going to divide into twos. I want you to pray for the harvest. I want you to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here and do practical things. And then then when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. What's up with that? What's that all about? Jesus says this. He says, when you're sharing the good news, look for the person of peace. Let me give you a definition of the person of peace. Person of peace is a person who is sovereignly prepared by God to receive the gospel before you arrive. See, God has placed people around you that are destined to be impacted with the good news. He's already done the groundwork, okay? He's hidden people in the harvest. These are the people that, that he, He's predestined for you to touch with the good news. And they're out there. They're all around you. You're on a mission, and while you're on your mission, you're going to bump into them. Now, how do you recognize a person of peace? Let me give you a couple of practical things. Number one, they, they, they will welcome you. They will welcome you. They like you. They want to spend time with you. They're interested in you and your life. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of them had to do with leadership. This stuff applies to people who we share the gospel with. This stuff also applies to people that God has hidden in the harvest that will help us fulfill our mission. We moved to Charleston. We didn't know hardly anybody. And we began to uh, talk to Pastor Fred Richard at Northwood Assembly. He said, I want you to plant a church. I said, okay. He said, now during this next two or three months, I want you to gather leaders. Well, I didn't know hardly anybody. And uh, so he suggested that maybe I have uh, lunch with Ron Hamilton, the pastor at the West Campus now. And so I went to lunch with Ron, and Ron was a dentist. And I began to share um, kind of the vision of what I thought God was doing. And here's what Ron said to me. Ron said, you know what? I feel like I've been waiting for this day all my life. He said, and he began to share his history just a little bit. And, uh, And he said, I was attracted to you when you first moved here. I didn't know why. So I know I've kind of seen you hang around. It's worried me just a little bit, you know. <laughs> but the point was that the leaders that I needed to help plant this church, God had already planted them in the harvest. And Ron 
he was the gateway to a whole bunch of relationships. In fact, a lot of the early leaders in this church were already kind of disciples of Ron. They were following him. You remember Jesus, when he started his ministry, John the Baptist had a bunch of disciples and Jesus came along and a lot of them started following Jesus because they were planted there for that time. They like you. They want to hang around with you. Let me tell you about another guy. This is not a leader. This is somebody who is a person of peace for me uh, that's not a believer that God has, you know, placed in, in my life. Went golfing one day and I met this guy. And we just connected. There, 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 there was a connection. Um, neither one of us were very good. You know, that was part of it. But there was, there was just this, he knew I was a Christian. We began to talk. We played golf two or three times. And I could sense an openness to me even though he didn't share my faith. So a person of peace welcomes you. They're the guy that's, or the lady that's kind of hanging around, you know. They, they keep coming back. So what do you do when you recognize a person of peace? Let me give you three things. Number one, you connect them relationally to your team. Remember, we got a team because we're doing this together. You connect them relationally. Here's what I did with the, with the guy I golfed with. I invited some other guys who were believers who were in relationship with me, I invited him to play golf with this guy. And here's all I wanted to accomplish with that. This is all. I wanted, I, I wanted this guy to remember three things. I wanted him to say, I think I like those guys. Secondly, I think God might be good. And thirdly, maybe Christians aren't that weird. Okay? That's all I wanted to accomplish. Is I like these guys, God might be good. Christians really aren't that weird. What about you? You could invite your person to peace. You begin to recognize them over to dinner with you and some friends. Or you could invite them to hang out and watch football together if that's what they like to do. Or if your gig is shopping, you can invite them to go shopping with you. Or you can invite them to a game night. Or you can invite them to be a part of your kid's play group. It's whatever, just little light things. And then the next time, or maybe the third time you get together with them, you expose them. The second thing you do, you expose them to just a little bit of the gospel. Not a lot, just a little bit. Maybe you attend a movie together and and go have coffee afterwards and talk about, hey, let's talk about the spiritual significance of what we just saw. You know, like if you're seeing Avatar, that's pretty easy. If it's Talladega Nights, that's going to be a stretch, but you could probably do it. Or maybe you take them to serve the poor with you. You know, in the next couple of weeks, um, I know here in Charleston uh, at the, uh, the Mission downtown and also at the Dream Center, we're going to be serving food. And that's a great opportunity to, you know, to have a person of peace come along with you and see kind of how you, how, how, how you do things together with your team. Share a meal together with your team. And, and, and before you eat... Um, And before you have prayer, just have each person share what they're thankful to God for. Just real light stuff. No big surprises. You're building trust. Don't have a movie night and pop Beth Moore in, okay? Nothing like that. Third thing you do is let them hear a gospel presentation. Maybe that's after a period of time. They've experienced what Christian community looks like. They got a little taste of what the kingdom is like. This is how Jesus would do it. Jesus would let people taste the kingdom. And then he would go, here's what you just saw. And he would explain it. Now you might invite him to, you know, a service or a Christmas, Christmas Eve services here are great things to invite people to. Because there is a very clear presentation of the gospel. There's not a high pressure involvement. You know, it's, it's beautiful. And maybe that's something that you should be thinking about. 
if you've developed the rest of the relationship. Or maybe have a conversation over coffee that isn't forced. First Peter 3 and verse 15 says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Or maybe they go on a retreat or a men's hike or you know, a retreat with your small group or whatever where you can get into deeper things. This is where it's important that you have a team. Because see, some people are good at gathering people. Man, they're, they're a block party in and of themselves. You know, they're, it's, it's easy to, to do the social stuff, but they're not that good at maybe taking the conversation further. And some people are great at sensing when people are ready for a spiritual conversation. And then there are some people that just make the gospel understandable. So here's my question. Have you identified a person of peace in your life? Maybe two or three. Maybe you hadn't even really thought of the concept. I want to challenge you. Maybe it's homework to sit down and say, God, who are you bringing around me? Okay? Let me give you one more real quick. Jesus says this. He says, stay long enough to make a difference. Luke 10 and verse 7 says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. That's that catch and release concept that Ron Hall talked about a few weeks ago. That's, that's just stuck in my heart. See, the goal is not just to have somebody make a decision to follow Christ. The goal for all of us is that we become lifelong disciples. With your person of peace, you want them to join in the fun of working in the harvest. I was so glad when Ron said yes. We're going to have a journey together. I'm excited about this friend of mine that plays golf. I can't wait until I can really introduce him to a living relationship with Jesus. And then he can have the joy of of, uh, seeing other people come to know him also. Um, A person of peace is usually a gatekeeper to a wider network of relationships. And if you stay long enough, who knows what the long-term impact will be. Let me tell you one story and I'm done. Several years ago, this lady, this woman, decided to make a bold move. She decided to take what God was doing in her and in her little oikos and to make a bold move and go outside of her family and to take the good news that had changed her life and share it with those outside of her house. And so she found a partner, another lady with a very similar passion, and they decided to focus on a smaller community not very far from where they live. They followed Jesus' instructions and they began to pray that God would bring workers out of the harvest. That God would open up the person of peace that would be the key to them kind of sharing the good news in this little community. They started serving. And one of the ladies they served was a sickly mother of three, three little kids, who was married to an alcoholic and abusive husband with a bad reputation. He was out of work in tough economic times, and so he turned to selling stuff that you get in trouble for selling, if you know what I mean. He had several run-ins with the law, He had a quick temper. He was the type of guy that you didn't want to meet when he was drunk uh, in a bar. Over time, their kindness to this little lady piqued his curiosity. And at a low point, 
he too became a Christ follower. Now the town was small enough that the word spread that this guy had committed his life to Christ. It's similar to a situation, if you want to read it later, in Mark chapter 5, the person of peace. It's interesting who God uses as a person of peace. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus' ministry is going on and there is a demoniac there who is, he's naked and he's got chains and uh, he's, uh, he's broken his chains. Everybody's afraid of him. He's just a wild dude. And Jesus goes to him and he casts a demon out of him. And, and that's when he cast the demon into the pigs. You remember that one? And the pigs ran off the, uh, ran off the cliff. Everybody got freaked out about that whole deal. And this guy says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your town. And I want you to share what you've done. And so he goes back to his town and he shares what had happened to him. Everybody knew what a bad guy he was. And so when Jesus shows up two chapters later, the, nearly the whole town shows up to hear Jesus. This guy was a person of peace. You know what? You'd be surprised at who God uses. You'd be surprised at who God will use you to touch. And so this guy was like that. He went, went to the, the whole town, knew what was going on and and slowly, his extended family, his oikos, came to know Christ. First his two sons and his daughter, and then his brothers and a few nephews, some grandkids. And finally, one day, one of his grandkids began to sense that God was calling him to lead a church, but he was doubting his own abilities. And so that grandson walked into a college professor on a retreat one day and said, do you suppose God could use me? And that professor said, you know, I think so, but don't expect very many to follow. Well, you know what? I am eternally grateful for that lady who said, I'm going to take what God has done and I'm going to be missional and I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to take it outside of my home. And she reached my grandfather and through him, his sons, his daughter, and me and my cousins and my kids and my grandkids. You never know. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to follow you. I thank you for these wonderful people who have gathered here in this place called Seacoast. And God, this weekend, I pray that you would give us just a little glimpse of what is possible. What if we all did that? What if we all took up our responsibility and our privilege to share the good news, God? What if we were infused by your power and we began to pray? And then we began to do the good things and to keep our eyes open for who you're bringing into our path. Could we make a difference? God, I think we could. Lord, I pray that you would take our uh, evangelism efforts here to a whole new level. That every day we'd be praying over these things. Every day we would be mindful of the fact that you've planted us where we are and that we're on mission from you. Every day our antenna would be up. And God, that you would help us. That your kingdom would be glorified. 
that people would be changed and that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.